It's access to knowing that we are consistently and actually constantly free. And it's our minds that entrap us. I have been a prisoner of my own mind for so long. I was so fearful of commitment. I was so fearful of losing my freedom. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Organifi. Now you can sip your way to radiant skin with Organifi's new product, Glow. This refreshing superfood naturally boosts collagen, smooths fine lines, protects the skin from sun exposure and toxins, and naturally moisturizes the skin. It's super simple to use. You simply mix one scoop with eight to 10 ounces of water, and you shake it and you drink it. And in natural Organifi fashion, it's got such incredible superfoods like aloe vera, pomegranate extract, lemon powder, coconut water, rosehip powder, All of these ingredients are going to help build collagen naturally using nature's most potent superfoods. Taking care of my skin has become something so important to me, not only because I travel as much as I do, but because I know that we are what we eat. So head over to OrganifiShop.com forward slash products forward slash glow so you can get your Organifi Glow pre-sale free shipping that ends in one day. So you can either go to the info button of this particular podcast and go directly to the link or go to OrganifiShop.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I-S-H-O-P.com forward slash products forward slash glow. And now back to our show. Steph Safandos is the true vision of what a conscious man should be. Through his own transformation, he developed a deep understanding of relationships and realized he had to move from selfishness to selfish selflessness, a lesson he passes along to others through his work today. He's a motivational speaker, an author, a coach, and truly one of the most real and authentic men I've met to date. We had such an incredible conversation. We talked about everything mental patterns. We talked about ritual. We talked about relationships. I'm so excited for you to hear all the wisdom nuggets that he left for us. Here is Steph Sifandos. So I can't stop smiling already. So (laughs) I'm really excited to have this particular guest on the show. Number one, because I needed to fulfill my men quota listeners, I hear you. (laughs) And the man that's on today, Steph, he's one of my favorite men out in the world of self-development and um, just conscious living and entrepreneurialship. He is one of my uh, most favorite inspirations to look up to in this category. So I'm really excited to have him on. So if we could all welcome Steph to the show. Oh, what a humbling introduction. Oh, you know, I try. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited. So Steph and I met a couple, Steph, when was it? A couple of months ago? I think it could have been late last year before Christmas. Was it before? Before Christmas? I think so, yeah. Dare wow. I say it was, yes. Time is this this is an interesting interesting time of the year. It's it's we're already in April. Pretty much. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm really in shock. So we just started the conversation before we, we started to record. We were talking about uh one of the things, my intentions, right? I'm doing air quotes before before the end of the year. <laughs> air quotes. Right. For me to travel less and to be at home more, which hasn't happened. We're now, it's April, essentially, and um, that hasn't happened for me, but that's okay. Um, 
you know, things happen, life happens, and which is actually apropos to what I wanted to talk to Steph about, um, because he has so many great insights and wisdom with regard to creating a, a life of joy and success and happiness, and I'm hoping that you will share those wisdom nuggets with us today. Yes, I'm very excited to share anything and everything. <laughs> okay, Steph, first of all, tell everybody where you're, where you hail from, where are the accent's from. I hail from Perth, Western Australia, in precisely Fremantle, Western Australia. However, so I was born in Fremantle. I grew up in um, – so Western Australia, Fremantle, Western Australia is Perth itself, which is the capital city of WA, is quite an isolated city. In fact, it's one of the most <clears> – <throat> if, dare I say, the most isolated city in the world in terms of um, the size of the city – and where it's where it's located, but I also grew up in Greece. Uh, my father's Greek mother was Italian. Uh, grew up in Greece, came back to Australia when I was about five, I believe uh, five ish, and then would be back and forth from Western Australia to Greece because my father's family is there yeah. and my family's there. Uh, so I have the uh, the best or the worst, but I have <laughs> the something the something of both worlds in in that in that sense, both cultures, yeah. Well, I love so you're Greek Italian with a West Australian accent. It, yes, you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. I was just telling Steph how I want him to record some meditations because I love his voice, and he just told me that he has some. So hopefully, he's got them somewhere that are accessible for everybody to download. Absolutely, I do. Yes. Okay, great. So, so here's my question. And this is something that we, I do remember having a similar conversation at dinner and I found it really fascinating. And I think it's such an important topic, especially where we are in this day and age with regard to cultivating sustainable and healthy relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this idea of building a conscious relationship with our romantic partner or car, uh, mm -hmm. conscious relationships with the people we our coworkers or our family members and because I really love your point of view on this I'd really love to just hear from you what number one the definition of having a conscious relationship and mm. number two how you've been able to cultivate that in your life in personal life and in business yeah, I'll start with it. That's a great question. I love this question. I'll start with a simple definition, but I think it's a, it's a simple definition. I think yet so so profound when when we really peel it back. And so, <clears throat> for me, two people that are in, and so just to caveat something, I'll reference a normative heterosexual relationship here often, but please know that I'm speaking to any dynamic of relationship, any form of gender construct. It just fill in the gaps, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's when two people, again, if you're in a non-monogamous relationship, it could be three, four, five people, or if you're in a corporation, it could be thousands of people. But essentially what underpins a conscious relationship is that the two people that are involved in that relationship know that the blue sky is always there. So there may be some clouds, maybe some gray clouds, some white clouds scattered throughout the sky. There could be rain, there could be thunder and lightning. This could occur for days on end yet they know that the blue sky will always be there. And so what does the blue sky represent? The blue sky represents the true form and the true nature of the relationship. And if we look at a blue sky, we see stillness. We see, we associate a blue sky with peacefulness. We associate a blue sky with feeling placid and calm. And so at the, at the core of any conscious relationship, no matter how turbulent it may be, because that's life, that's going to happen. It's, it's, that's definitely going to happen. There's this fallacy that people believe, that people think that if you're in sacred union or in a conscious relationship, that everything's easy, everything's just so simple. There's no distress, there's no pain, there's no arguments, there's no disagreements, there's no fighting, there's no yelling at each other's. Nothing. Now, obviously, the more intense all of that is, the more work those people have to do in terms of going deeper into their shadow self, into the unchecked parts of the psyche, into the quote unquote ugly parts of selves, of self. But we're always going to have disagreements per se. That's just part of life. It's how we handle ourselves. It's how we approach that that defines a conscious relationship. So people in conscious relationship know that that blue sky is always there. So when they're in the turmoil, 
they can reference that. It gives them a greater sense of peace. It gives them a greater sense of understanding what's happening, connecting to the wisdom and the teaching of what's happening and the unraveling of what can occur, the growth and the expansion as opposed to being stuck in the pain and the fear and coming from old wounding. A conscious relationship chooses not to come from old wounding that has nothing really to do with the present moment besides its infiltration of the present moment. And it chooses to come from what's happening right now. Now, that's a simple definition for me. I'm very happy to go into a more, not complex, but more layered definition, Mm. if you wish. Yeah, no, I really love what you're saying. And I think that it, it's such a beautiful way of creating awareness around our own perception of what we think a relationship should look like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying about how the blue sky is still there, you know. Mm -hmm. I find that with certain people, especially as, you know, I do life coaching and I work with a lot of my students and I have encountered where, and I'm sure you have too, and I'm wondering if you can weave this in to elaborate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. When people have a hard time believing that the sky is still blue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they might feel like, I just don't know if I'm, I'll put it in the sense of, I don't know if I'll ever find love again. Yeah. Or right now this feels like I'm dying inside. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been there. We, I, I feel so many of us, if not all of us, mm. I, I can, I'm very confident to say that all of us have been there. Very, very yeah. few people have not at some point in their life. I've, I've been there, uh, Rosie. I've, I've been there at the point of suicide many times and looking at suicide as a tangible option for not only ending this pain, but <clears throat> also putting a stop to the pain that I'm causing or inflicting, perceived to be inflicting upon others that are seeing me in this state of deep, deep distress. Because we project or we project forward, wow, is this pain going to be here forever? And when we're asking that question, or we're rather we're feeling that it's that that's absolute truth. We are coming from an unconscious place. We're coming from a wounded place, mm-hmm. deep, deep wounding. Now, there's nothing wrong with coming from wounding. This isn't about wrong or right. It's a beautiful thing. But when we get stuck and fixated on that wounding being the norm and being forever, we're very mistaken. Because he, here's something to really tie that up. When we go to sleep at night, and you may you may understand this, obviously being in the in the space that you're in, Vedanta speaks to three states of of consciousness, or four, but let's just focus on the three states: awaking, awaking state, the the waking state, the dreaming state, the the deep sleep state. Even if we just take that, and we go to sleep at night, we go through a, a state of being in, in a dreaming state, and then we go into this deep sleep state where consciousness or our awareness of our pain it ceases for a moment or an hour or two or three. And and so that there tells us something about our reality, that it's nothing's permanent. There's only one thing that's permanent, and that is the ultimate self, the true self. Do not go too deep into that philosophy for a moment. If we just stay with that, if we just understand that we even can find reprieve during our 24-hour period. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can do that then, imagine what we can do if we look at the circumstances differently. For me, I was so caught up in my pain. I got so stuck in my pain instead of asking, why is this happening for me? I was asking myself, what is happening to me? What is happening to me? Why is this happening to me? What have I done? I I got locked down in this victimhood mentality Mm -hmm. and I couldn't break free of it. And I needed someone else. I needed other people to reflect on me to say, hey, Steph. There actually is a way through this, and here are some options. And here's how how fucking amazing your life actually is, but you're not able to notice it because you're in so much pain. And so this fixation on our pain being the be-all and end-all and this inability to be in gratitude, it devastates our psyche and it devastates our sense of self and our well-being. I've been there so many, many times. And I'm also deeply grateful that I've experienced that in my case because I've learned and I've grown from it massively. Yeah, yeah. And I've it's, allowed myself to. Yeah, and it sounds like you're really coming at it from a place of gratitude, right? Even in your even in your suffering, you mm. personally are still coming at it from a place of awareness, you know? Yeah. And I think, well, I'm curious how much of our faith or belief system is tied into that uh like that hope 
finding? I think it, I think it's – I'll give you an example of today, actually, too, that would be quite interesting. Uh, I think there's a difference between hope, blind hope or blind faith and intelligent hope. And I think blind hope and faith comes from, from pure desperation and it's not, it's not grounded in anything tangible, whereas intelligent hope is there's a willingness to, to understand or see or witness or feel something that we're unaware of and venture into the unknown with more, more of an open mindset or mo, uh, open eyes. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, for me, there's a willingness there in the intelligent hope. So, for example, I, I've been going through – I've just been a little bit overwhelmed the last few days, just life, in a really healthy way, in a, in a great way uh, in terms of the way I'm serving, the way I'm showing up for the people that I work with, uh, the amazing creative projects that I have on. Like I feel really blessed, very, very blessed. And it's been overwhelming and it's been more, quote, unquote, work and service and there's been a little bit less time for space, a little bit less space and time for fun and play and just detaching from having to do so much. Mm-hmm. And I know myself personally because I've ventured into virtually every chasm of myself and there's <laughs> obviously more. <laughs> there's definitely more, but I've been deep and dark and light as well. Um, and I know when I get like this, I start focusing on what's not working in my life, yeah. and this is this is a habit that I'm breaking. And so, for example, oh, you know, I'm away from. I, I saw a video yesterday of my good friends that I used to train with every day. For we we would move, engage in movement, and just have fun and play every day for a couple of hours. And from obviously moving from Australia, being with my beautiful fiance here, and, and I'm super happy here in in California. And I also miss that that part of being at back at um, my previous home. And so I saw a video yesterday and I was, I was like, oh, damn, I wish I was with the guys back there and be tearing it up and be having fun. And, you know, my, I train a lot on my own at the moment. And that's okay. I go through these cycles, right? And, and at the same time, it's just a little – I'm just it's, – look, it's a day, two days, a few days I might be feeling like this and then next week I'll be fine. But at the moment I'm feeling a little bit isolated in that respect. And so – and because I'm, I'm serving a lot, I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to have much fun and play – I, I, my own personal patterns, I'm becoming a little bit disheartened. So I was training this morning on my own and I was thinking, you know what? I've got a really good life. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just check this and really drop in for a moment, like really feel how amazing my life is because I seem to be focusing a little bit too much to the point where it's affecting my sense of, of well-being on what's, you know, quote, unquote, not working in my life. And so I went through what I'm really, really deeply grateful for right, right in the moment, the fact that I was – the, the blue sky was out, sun was shining, I'm outside training, amazing. My beautiful fiance is, is she, Christine was in the, uh, in the gym just next to me doing her own thing, thinking, wow, I have someone that cares about me so much, that looks after me in so many different ways, that sees me non, in non-judgmental ways, that has shifted the way I see myself because of how she sees me, has been a beautiful mirror of compassion. The opportunities that I have access to, this conversation, Rosie, would not be taking place if I was not here in the US. Mm-hmm. And so many amazing things, I'm giving you a couple of examples, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas before, go back, rewind a few years, I'd wallow in my pain and my misery and my victimhood for so long. I'm talking about days and weeks sometimes. It was shocking. Mm. I mean, I, I, it's such a visceral visual that you just painted because it really is about elevating that yeah. frequency, right? I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. You're able to elevate yourself out of that frequency. It's like feelings like FOMO or <laughs> depression or, you know, sadness or feeling inadequate. Those are all operating at a lower frequency, you know? And so yeah. the the idea then is to rise above it and be able to do it. And so for the people listening, you know, they hear this all the time, right? So this is this is the the... It's almost like the the simplest fix is always the easiest, right? Yep. It's always the easiest thing. But what do you think it is about getting to a place where we can elevate ourselves that that blocks us? So what blocks us from elevating ourselves? Yeah. A, a, a number of things. So firstly, 
our environment, mm. who and what we're spending our time with, what we're focusing on, what we're bringing our attention to. If there's density in what we're bringing our attention to, we're going to feel and experience density. I was watching, um, you know, the, the show Suits? Yes. Uh, yeah, the TV, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so yeah. I've been getting into it. And there was a, I think we're in season eight, so we're the last season and one of the first couple of episodes, uh, we watch it whenever we can. Uh, we haven't actually watched it for a week or two, so I think we're due. But um, <laughs> <laughs> just so you reminded me. Perfect, thank you. perfect. Uh, and so uh, one of the characters says to, to Jessica, her partner says, congratulations, you'll be the first person to sleep with dogs and not get fleas. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool statement with respect to how much our environment influences us. I think that's massive. And so we have to be very selective and conscious and aware of who are we spending our time with and why? And what are we spending our time with? What are we focusing on in our day, in our conscious waking states? I think that's very important. So for example, if you are a lawyer and you hate the law profession and you're dealing with, say, criminals all day, how is that going to affect you if, if you really dislike your job or your your service or your vocation and you're not passionate about it and you're not inspired by it? That's going to affect the psyche compounded day after day after day. The second thing I want to say is, and this is an Ayurvedic principle, prevention over curative, always preventative over curative. What does that look like? That means establishing routine in our lives mm -hmm. that serve us. So for me, I have a, a series of morning habits and evening habits that lend themselves to ultimately grounding me, bringing me into focus, and allowing me to expand on a regular daily basis. Expansion means for me, <clears throat> am I learning something new? Am I contributing to the world in a meaningful way? And am I growing because of that? As an example of what I mean by um, grounding or what I mean by creating substance in one's life, in mm -hmm. my life. Yeah. So I'm very happy to go through some of those morning habits or all of them in the evening habits as well, if you like. And we can come back to that later if you want. I definitely won't forget. Um, or we can continue just going where we are. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I mean, we can go into so many different directions. But I, I think if you could just, you know, give the, the listeners a, a definition of what grounding means. And then if you could just tell us what your morning ritual is. Yeah, yeah of course. So for me, grounding is coming from a place where I'm not reactive and I'm more responsive. So I'm more, I'm more cohesive and I'm patient with what I'm experiencing. So if I'm experiencing difficulty or challenge or pain, and let me just caveat something. Sometimes I'm very reactive, but if I'm experiencing, <laughs> I'm highly reactive. Um, <laughs> I'm immediately slipstream back into old patterns of frustration, <laughs> agitation, and aggression. And that's, that's a, you know, that's an undoing or, uh, a reckoning that I'm coming to to terms with, but it's very far. It's very rare these days. Um, it's rarer than than what it used to be, that's for sure. And so, for me, being grounded is being able to be responsive and not panic in in the face of difficulty. Being quite stoic in the approach, and so what that would tangibly look like is taking a few deep breaths, calming myself, and asking myself, "What is here for me to learn? How can I grow through this? What's the advantage of where I'm actually at?" This difficulty that I'm that I'm experiencing, the fact that my laptop touchwood hasn't worked for two days and I can't access important information, how can I actually grow from this? What is it teaching me? What is it giving me? Yeah, Th that that type of tangible approach. Yeah, and so grounding for me, and and, and I really honour and and I'm very appreciative of what you said before we got on about the, the way my voice is, and it's yeah, it's okay, it's my accent, it's my vocal cords and the structure of my esophagus and all that stuff or whatever contributes to to me vocalising. But it's also a mindset that I take. It's also how I choose to be in life as often as I can, which is being calm, being slow, literally slowing my thoughts and what I'm observing down so I can absorb it all. And that's a practice. I never used to be like that. I was very fast-paced. I was very erratic. I was what's on the next thing. I was... Part of my personality, per se, was being hyper-selfish. What's in it for me? And so I'm constantly chasing. It's like that that the extreme consumerism model. What's next? What's next? I've got this latest phone, but when's the next phone coming out? I've got the latest TV. When's the next TV coming out? That type of rampant consumerism. I was the same with um, 
experiences, I just wanted more and more and more. And so I wasn't grounded. I was very reactive to life Mm -hmm. and not reactive in a healthy way. It was, hey, I'm in a survival mode and I need to be reactive to survive. It was just everything was a survival scenario. And that's just not healthy because it it was wreaking havoc with my nervous system. Mm-hmm. So that that's what for me grounding means. Yeah, I hope that's that's yeah. No, that's a great that's a great uh, definition because I I can absolutely relate. And so, in the morning when you wake up, what is the what is the rundown of your morning to really establish that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I'm if I'm with my beloved, it's it's spending some uh, quality time. I'm just smiling and, so big right now. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like I love it, and I love her, Christine Hassler. For yeah. those of you that don't know, she's the who, best. Who she's the, the beloved best. is. <laughs> she's yes. The best. Um, spending some time with her, whether it be you know, just cuddling, eye gazing, smiling, even none of the above, just a just a touch on the shoulder, letting her know that that I'm there, whatever it may be. Um, Toilet, and I mean, I'm very, very serious. Toilet time. So, Christine was telling me a story yesterday of someone that she knows that doesn't that goes to the toilet like once every. Like, and when I say toilet, I'm talking about number two. Yeah. It's like once every two or three weeks, and I'm like, what, what the fuck? And I know people that have that that have been that person as well, and I, I could never imagine that. It's just, I would. I, I don't know that for me that would be I would be on high alert if that's, that's happening. That's like toxic, right? I Very mean, that's toxic. Like, yeah. Oh, of course it's yeah, good. absolutely in so many ways. And so, toilet time for me in the morning is uh, is is a conscious part of my routine, and it's it's neural. It's, it's, it's it happens. It's, I have no issues with it. It just happens. Drinking one to two tall glasses of water, filtered water. Um, very grateful. I wake up every morning. I walk upstairs. And I see this amazing mountain vista view that we have. And I just, I think, wow. Um, and sometimes we can see Big Bear when the day's really clear. I can see Big Bear in the distance, white snow-capped mountains, so clear, so close. Mm. And I just, I'm so grateful and I drink my water and then I come back downstairs and I'll engage in some breath, uh, Christina, I'll engage in some breath work practice and then some some stillness practice. And I usually extend my stillness practice and I'll just continue that. And then generally part of my uh, my morning routine as well will be do some reading uh, with respect to whatever I'm reading at that point. Um, uh, some I haven't done writing for a while. Uh, I just I, I go I go through phases. I go through different stages. I haven't been writing for a while, but reading at um, at the moment I'm doing more reading, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll and I'll do some reflective work as well on the day before and, and what what I want my day to look like and feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then movement. So it could be yoga, it could be a long walk, it could be generally my training is quite intense. Uh, this is high intensity training, um, and 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 that's that's my morning. They're my morning routines, and then I go deeper into my day with with service and and work and whatever that looks like. But generally, that's that's my morning routine. And really clear that a great evening routine sets up a very solid and. Uh, connected morning routine as well, and I'm far better at my morning routine than I am in my evening routine. But I will go into, <laughs> I will go into my evening routine, which is which is good, and we keep each other accountable. Christine and I keep each other accountable, which is good. Um, but basically, if we're watching television, or if we're watching a series, or a movie, or a show, or whatever it may be, um, if we're not working, or if we're not connecting, or doing whatever else we're doing, TV's off by nine nine thirty at the latest. Um, reading and then bedtime by bed by 10 30 11 at the latest mm-hmm. oh yeah. that's nice yeah what what are you like if you don't get your morning ritual in I'm okay over a longer period of time I I can be I get cranky <laughs> <laughs> cranky what do we use here in the US yeah cranky yeah absolutely yeah, yeah I get cranky yeah, yeah. because I'm not I'm not honoring myself and right. so I get pissed off. I get I, yeah, yeah, yeah I get I, I'm yeah. like a little kid yeah no lost. me too Totally. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was my question. I always like to ask people that yeah. I have respect for and that I feel like are <laughs> enlightened. And I'm like, are you? Because I feel like I have so much work to do. If I, I mean, I don't actually know what it's like to not do my morning ritual, but there's, there's certain things that I may have to omit because of my schedule or uh, travel or whatever, you know, um, or if I'm on an airplane, like, and I, I am not a great person, you know, in the morning. Like I, I swear it, it's really terrible. I am not, I'm, I'm like a hangry little beast. Like 
It is not a good look. And, you know, I'm sure it, you know, has a lot to do with just wanting to arrive into this plane, right? Just to arrive into the world and to just, you know, you come out of this peaceful state of sleep, you know? I mean, I, I, I have pretty good sleep. And so So I'm coming out of this serenity and this feeling of just fullness. And then I awake. And then if I don't do my things, I just feel so disconnected, you know? And so, um, okay. Well, talking about connection, um, well, actually, no, I want to I ask you, I want to go back to something that you said. Mm. One of the things you said earlier is was about how our environment is conducive to us being able to elevate to a higher state of being, yes. right? Yes. What do you do if you have toxic people in your life or in your environment, like you have a friend that's a little bit of a Debbie Downer, or if mm. you know you have somebody at work that you sit next to that's kind of a mm. drag, or you have a partner that's maybe not into self-development as much as you are. Yeah. Like, what what do people do? What's your advice for them mm. if they're in that position? Yeah. So the, the short answer, and I don't mean to be facetious here, is remove those people from your life. Now, that's not the easiest answer always, and it's not necessarily the answer that's required 100% of the time. So let's backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. If that person or those people are consistently very negative in your life or, or, for lack of a better term, toxic, unhealthy in their behavior, how they treat you, how they see you, how they view you, the exchange that you have, the interpersonal relationship that's transpiring – if that's consistent, at some point you'll have to make a decision to remove yourself or remove them from your life. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is, is really dependent on the circumstances. But there's, there's generally two ways to approach this. Uh, there's, and then, then there's obviously what happens behind the scenes. The, two, the, the first way is what I just said there, and there's no particular order. The second way is to adjust to our environment. In other words, we, we remain – well, there's actually three ways. <laughs> so the second way is adjust to our environment and be, a, be able to see the lessons and the teaching and the wisdom and the gratitude and, and the, the what's actually unfolding here. Mm-hmm. And how can you make it work for you as opposed to against you? And how can you move out of a victimhood mentality? And that requires effort. That requires communication with that person. It requires communication with self, really understanding what your needs are with clarity, learning how then to express that and communicate that and come from a place of compassion, non-judgment as often as possible and healthy boundaries. Yeah. And say, hey, how you're behaving is not acceptable. It's it's hurting me and it's upsetting me for A, B and C. And if it continues, this is what's going to have to happen. Because it's not fair that that's transpiring. I'm giving you an example conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the third way is 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 do nothing about it and continue to suffer and essentially just be grounded in low self esteem, low self worth, and low self value and low self belief. Mm-hmm. And that is the third option is not an option that I recommend to anyone because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> clearly, because <laughs> all you're doing is perpetuating. <laughs> yeah, you prepared, but so many people do that though, right, Rosie? Like, yeah, I'm you're sure you can think right. of people. I, oh, 100. I've done that in the past when I've been when I was younger, when I was a te- young teenager, and I was passive, and I was very meek in my own self and didn't didn't trust myself believe in myself have a voice i would allow that to transpire people would i would be bullied and i would let that transpire and i wouldn't i wouldn't remove myself from those events i would just stay there and i would still cop the abuse because for me it was that was the norm i grew up in a volatile environment where i was i experienced physical abuse and emotional abuse from my father mm-hmm. and and my mother to an extent as well and that was the norm is being able to take that and and how strong I was was defined by how much pain I could tolerate. Mm-hmm. That changed as I moved into my later teens and adulthood where I became the opposite in extremes. I had to move through, oscillate through extremes. I became hyper-aggressive and I became very angry in the world and very abrupt and rude and uh, like a sledgehammer essentially. If, mm-hmm. if someone, someone uh, teased me or if someone disagreed with me or if someone said something that I didn't like, I was, oof, I was on them either emotionally or, or we'd be – would be punching on and fighting if it was on the street or something, literally. Wow. It was it was extremes. And so I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> Definitely not. We we have the capacity to learn from indirect experience. Let's please people who's listen, who are listening, don't right. go down that road. Right, right. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, what you can do, though, is get really clear. I think the second options uh, as a starting point is really powerful because 
it teaches you about you. And when you actually reflect on, okay, so what's happening here and how can I deal with this situation the most amicable way, realizing that it may not end up amicable, but how do I set healthy boundaries, start from a place of compassion and non-judgment, start from a place of seeing the other person and maybe that they're in pain and that they're suffering and they don't know how not to project that. And so is it actually about me? Oh, maybe it's not. Maybe Maybe my actions are actually in integrity or maybe, wow, I can see where my actions are in integrity. If I made this adjustment, this may change the way they interact with me, perceive yeah. me, see me or treat me. Mm-hmm. Let me try that. And so it becomes this this exploration. And, of course, as we know, exploration is a beautiful segue into enlightenment, into nirvana, into greater sense of, of peace and even self-worth. And so I recommend the second route that I mentioned, which was yeah. – Really go in, like go all into that and ask why is this happening for me and what action can I take that's different to what I have been doing to, to observe a different way that I can be treated as opposed to being treated in unhealthy, aberrant ways. Yeah, oh, I love that stuff so much. I have a, a question for you. I'm just, I'm curious if yeah. you've encountered this. This is kind of a little bit, it's not really off topic. I guess it it coincides with what you're talking about have you ever encountered people that you've worked with you know as a as a coach as a as a transformational advocate that you are um somebody who who like wants to get better but for but not for real does that make sense it's almost like they they're doing all the things but they really don't want to change you know i call it like the faux self-development right It's Mm -hmm. like somebody that maybe you've given all the advice to, you've given all the tools, but they just, they're just not doing it. Have you ever encountered that? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Massively. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, do you just say. I've been that person too. Yeah, me too. I totally (laughs) have too. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Like, what do you do in that situation? I think the most important thing is to realize that we cannot change or shift anyone until they are really willing and wanting to shift. Mm. However, I remember having this conversation with my mother years and years ago in my early 20s, maybe even in my teens. I've been quite a – I've had quite a philosophical mind or an an inquisitive mind from a very young age. Mm. I remember having this conversation and we were talking about you you can't change people and should that stop us from – uh, not trying to change them, but still stepping into our power and just being ourselves and not being attached to whether someone else changes or not, but just leading our lives the way we want to to lead our lives uh, and, and really being detached from an outcome of how others behave. And I thought to myself, you know, you can hear things a thousand times, the same thing, and on the thousand and one, one time, you go, oh, wow, I'm going to make a change. And you make it, and it's done. And it's and it's like your mother will say to you, "Well, I've been telling you that for years. Well, why haven't why haven't you done that? Because we're just not ready to change." Mm-hmm. But without those thousand times that you heard it, would that thousand and one time even make a difference? Potentially not. Right. Am I, am, I, am I making sense with what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it totally yeah. makes sense. It it really has to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, more with your preparation, right? Like one yes. of my, one of my teachers and you'll, you'll love this, you know, he, you know, again, it's, we're both students of Vedanta and, and yoga and, and all these, uh, Eastern philosophies that I find absolutely fascinating. But one of, one of the things that my teacher says that I really love is there's that saying that when you're ready, the teacher will appear, yes. but he says when the student is prepared, Yes. Then the, oh, the teacher will appear. It's a relationship. One doesn't exist without the other. Teacher doesn't exist without student. What's there to teach if there's no student? Right. And how, how can a student exist without a teacher? So it's it's relational. It's it's uh, they're they're reliant on each other. And so that and that's the beautiful thing. And so you go back to your original question: Can we just be ourselves and really show up fully? and not be attached to how others behave or not behave. Now, if it gets to a point where someone is, we revert back to the previous discussion around if someone's behaving unhealthily, we may have to remove ourselves mm-hmm. or we can go deeper into that and attempt to to re-liven the relationship, uh, rekindle the relationship if, if there's something worth rekindling there, but that's that comes down to our own personal values and 
our own perception of if it's worthy or not. But we can't change people. If people aren't ready for those tools, then they just they won't accept them. And that doesn't mean that we can't get creative if we see that there's value in persisting. I'm a big fan of persistence, big fan of persistence. And the intention behind persistence is very important. If you're persisting because your ego says, I have to change this person, and you're coming from a hyper-selfish place that you want them to change because it's going to solely benefit you, I believe that that intention is not an integrity. And it's not really useful to the well-being of the other person. But if you're if you're saying, hey, I really have something to offer and I understand that this person will only change when they're ready and maybe they don't need to change right now, but maybe they just need to be loved and nurtured and cared for and seen and even just they just need to know that they're actually really someone actually is interested in them and in, in their development. And so I can get creative how I present that. Maybe instead of talking to them, I'm going to write them a letter and tell them about this amazing new course that I've started and maybe they may be interested because – if they were to read a letter, that's a very different form of communication than talking on the phone or via text or in person. So that that in and of itself, that, that shift is like a shock factor. And so we know with immersive experiences, we receive a shock factor. We're more inclined to shift or transform or change or see something that we've seen before with new eyes yeah. in a new way, new perspective. And so just something simple like that. Yeah. Now, we can get creative. I, I have clients all the time that are reluctant to go forward or go into the pain. And it's not because they don't want to or they want to be difficult or they're stubborn or they're egotistical. It's because their pain is too much. It's because they're they're so fearful. I have to be creative in how I get them there. And sometimes it takes one session, two sessions, three sessions. Sometimes it takes me just talking about completely irrelevant stories and and, and I I tap into the unconscious parts of their psyche to prepare them for going and facing their fears. Sometimes we have to look at different pain points that aren't as intense to prepare them for this greater pain point. Either way, I've learned I've needed to be creative and my intention is to always serve them in the best way. And if they're not ready to go into that pain right now, I'm not going to push that, over push it. I'll nudge, I'll gently nudge, sometimes more. And this is contextual because obviously this is a, a mentorship, di- mentory dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but even with friends, we have to respect the other person's sovereignty and individuality. Yeah. I think if we come from that place, being creative, respecting their sovereignty and individuality, not coming from a place of ego, the intention is to serve, I think then, you know what? you'll figure out what answer you need and what action you need to take in order to help them or maybe not help them shift. I love that. That's so that's so true and and I really love that you're articulating that in a way that's that's doable, you know, mm. it's not really like asking well, I mean in a sense you are asking for people to get out of their own com- their own comfort zone and sometimes it, it takes yes. both people getting out of that comfort zone to to achieve a, a new level of understanding and awareness so I, I love that you're saying that who in your life has been your greatest teacher oh um well I've got a couple of tears in my eyes and and so the first person um that came to my mind was my my first two people were my grandparents that had passed away who I miss, who I miss dearly, and I love, I love dearly, mm. and so they're they're the, they're the two people that have immediately come to me, and then so my body, my the visceral reaction was tears in my eyes because I thought of my grandparents and how uh, amazing, amazing they are as human beings, and I could run a long list of people, you know, Christine being one of them, uh, my parents, albeit having many different, um, <laughs> have, having not been. The best parents, so to speak, they also were. They taught me so much. Once I was able to move past and all the pain of it, you know, my brother, some of my greatest friends and some amazing teachers, um, swamis that I've learned from uh, and ju- just just so many, oh, oh, the list goes on, so many people in my life. But to do justice and honour to your question, the first people that came to mind followed very quickly by um, Christine, of course, and all, all previous partners have taught me so much. Um, my grandparents, my grandparents have been massive catalysts for being able to tap into more authentic aspects of myself, more core aspects of myself that I want to bring into the world, such as selflessness and compassion and 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 certainty and security and, and predictability in self. Like my, my grandfather and my grandmother were predictable. 
in terms of they showed up a particular way and they honored that way. They were really in integrity with who they were. Um, and that, that for me is a beautiful quality for any human being. And so it's not exclusive to, to men, but for men, for me, particularly because I'm a man, being in integrity, being a beacon of safety and certainty when others are interacting with you is really important for me. It's something that I have worked on diligently over, over many years to be that person. I love that stuff. Such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful answer. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Um, I'm not sorry that I made you cry. <laughs> I'm not sorry that you made okay, me cry. Um, what is your definition of freedom? Oh, I love this. I love this. For me, freedom is access. I'm going to elaborate on that. And it's it's access to knowing that we are consistently and actually constantly free. And it's our minds that entrap us. I have been a prisoner of my own mind for so long. I was so fearful of commitment. I was so fearful of losing my freedom in a, in a cultural context, whether it be in relationship or getting a loan or a mortgage or um, being involved in businesses, being accountable to other people. I saw everything as restricted. Everything was restricting me, was restricting my movement. Uh, you know, not having enough money to do what I want was restricting, therefore I wasn't free. Everything for me was not liberating. And, and all I wanted to do was escape, escape the, this world and go into the mountains and meditate. And just and detach from the world, and I realized that that's not really what I want to do. And I was running from my pain and my fear. And when I went into that, when I went into my fears and my pains and my past wounding and my trauma, and I neutralized and equilibrated that, I felt free. I feel free, even when I feel that I'm in dire straits. I can connect to actually feeling free. It's more difficult when I'm in a in a painful situation or when I'm stressed or overwhelmed or experiencing that, experiencing stress or overwhelm, but I can still access it. I couldn't I could have never been in a relationship before and be so comfortable. I'm so I feel more free than I ever have being in a committed relationship now, being in an intimate romantic partnership now. Because I've changed my internal frameworks and I've really gone into myself. And chosen and have been willing to look at the fears that have stopped me from feeling free, essentially. That is so beautiful, Steph. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I created this podcast as a way for people to come to get inspired or to just hear stories of how other people have felt supported and maybe they are looking for a little bit more support and the idea mm. is that we are radically loved by God, source, universe, whatever higher power mm. of your understanding that the universe works for us and not against us. Mm. And mm. so the final question to you mm. is how do you feel radically loved? Oh, that's a really beautiful question. I was actually going to, this is intuitive of you, I was actually going to ask you if I could go back a moment and speak to something I wanted to elaborate on, and I actually don't need to now, because, well, I, I will, but I don't have to ask you that, because the segue of the question actually goes directly to that. And so, you know, earlier when I mentioned my grandparents, they laid a tremendous foundation. Once I cleared up a lot of my internal clutter, my, my, my psyche and my emotional being, my spiritual self, and got into more into a deeper contact with who I truly was, I was able to really realize and embrace the impact that my grandparents had on me and the foundation they laid for me to be able to receive. They loved me so much, myself and my brother, so unconditionally. Never experienced anything like that, no matter what – you did to them or I did to them or anyone would do They were just, they were so loving and open and they just knew what they loved and they loved ferociously and beautifully and, and just with such, such peace as well. And that for me laid the foundation to receive that coupled with doing the inner work laid the foundation for me to receive the love that I received from my beloved from Christine like I've never received before. She sees me in, in such a compassionate, non-judgmental way. And because I've, I've been so open to the way Christine sees me and witnesses me, 
I've been able to also recognize in the past how people have seen me that I haven't been able to accept or, or embrace or um, allow into my life. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, I'll just use Christine as a catalyst because I, I really feel that intimate romantic love in whatever form it takes can take us so deep within ourselves and it's, it's a catalyst and a mirror for looking into who we are. Mm-hmm. And what I realize is, and what Christine helps me realize is just by being her and the way she sees me is how, how much radical love and acceptance and compassion I actually have for myself. Mm. Uh, and that's been, that's been a, a really beautiful journey for me and, a, and, and also one that's come with massive challenges because of, I, I, I play hard in the realm of masculinity mm. and, what, and what masculinity is and, and what it isn't and what it was and what it can be and where it's going and all of that. And so I wrestle with so many different concepts within myself and conceptually academically as well and at a societal level uh, and at a futuristic level, the future of society, the future of relationships, the future of masculinity, the future of, of, of bonding and, and sacred union and all of that. And so it's been an unraveling journey, but that radical self-love and that radical love receiving from people that truly see me devoid of judgment and, and, and just full of compassion has been fucking epic to say the least. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so, that's well put stuff. And I, I want to just take a moment to say how much I appreciate you and the work that you're doing and just your, Thank you. your ability to just show up fully and wholeheartedly as somebody who's wanting to, you know, raise the level of awareness in different aspects of life and to just be in full integrity and authenticity and honesty. And I, I really love that about you. And I pray that more men continue to follow you and follow your example, because I feel like it will create such a a better world for, for us to create a, a sustainable community. Oh, thank you very, very much for your kind words. I've very much received and appreciated. Oh, I'm so glad. So <laughs> for for the people that are listening that want to get to know you more or that want more information about you and what you do, where can they go for that? Best place is social media, Instagram or Facebook. Stephanos Safandos are my handles and you, you'll find so much information there. Yeah, My website, all of that is there, yeah. For the people listening to the podcast, all of those links will be provided in the show notes of this particular podcast. So if you go to the info section that you're listening to and you click the info button, all of those links will be there so you can follow Steph and let them know what you thought about this episode. Steph, thank you so much. I'm I'm so grateful you, for yeah. you and I hope that I get to see you and Christine soon and we can yes. hang out and just talk about all things very amazing radical love yeah hey everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode i am so excited to continue to do this please share this with your friends email us message us on instagram at rosie acosta or on twitter at rosie acosta subscribe on itunes write a review we love doing this so please help us continue to keep this podcast going thanks for listening